Welcome to the Heart of a Man podcast. We're a movement of men in central Indiana pursuing meaningful friendships, faith, and character. If you'd like to learn more about us, the facility we're building designed for the energizing and growth of men, or would like to financially partner with us in our mission to rebuild the American family one man at a time, please visit us at heartofaman.org. There's a guy that comes to heart of a man. His name's Tony Florence. He came for the first time last year. He's a- I asked him for permission to tell his story. He said I could do it. He was sent here by his pastor from his hometown in Louisville. Tony has spent some, most of his 25 years of his life addicted to drugs and alcohol. He has shot, robbed, and assaulted people and has spent a good deal of time in jail. He has lived homeless numerous times because his family had to kick him out. His journey downward started when his dad left at birth, and his stepfather started moving them all over the country for a career in the military. Tony eventually found Jesus in jail and began a journey a few years ago begging God to rescue him. His pastor sent him here to enroll him in a program through Wheeler Mission that has provided him a place to live and a job. He is working through Proverbs every day and texting us what he learns. And one man in this class felt God calling him to be Tony's friend and was moved strongly towards Tony. Now other men have started to jump in and help, and we see God is working through these men in a special way in this class to really reach Tony and help him change his life. Second Chronicles 16 says, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. That doesn't that amaze you? He's like, I just want to give you support. When your heart's for mine, support. I'm going to give it to you. Oh, it gets me so fired up. Blameless means facing and moving towards God, not sinless, eagerly pursuing God and pursuing him with that same intensity that you pursued your wife when you first met her. Pursuing with the same intensity as the first week of your favorite job. Pursuing her as a man who's fighting to stay clean from drugs and alcohol. Not intensely pursuing this culture and the desires of our American way, but instead hungry for the things of God, deeply desiring him. And God said, when I see that heart like that, I'm going to strongly support that guy. When God's eyes search your heart, what does he see you passionately pursuing? When Samuel told Saul God was replacing him, he said, the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. He was talking about David. And tonight's lesson is a picture, a beautiful picture of a God that is strongly supporting David, a man who's passionately pursuing God. I pray tonight you will develop a deeper desire to pursue God in your heart and experience that strong support that God gives to a man like that. Let us open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for my dear brothers, Lord, and thank you for this incredible man, David, this beautiful story of him and you and what you did to pursue him and encourage him and strengthen him, Lord. Father, I pray my words, my actions, just the way I act won't get in the way of your message and your Holy Spirit. Help these men hear you, not me. Lord, I pray we all feel different tomorrow because we heard you speak and we act different because you told us what to do. Help us be obedient, Jesus. In your name I pray, amen. One of the first ways we see God support David is by giving him courage. In fact, we see God give courage to numerous men, 
like Moses, Samson, and Peter to help them overcome intense fear and adversity. Men who depend on God receive strong support, courage from God. Men who depend on themselves, on the other hand, stay afraid. When the Philistine came to fight against Israel, they came out to face Saul and his men every day for 40 days. And every single stinking day, Saul hid, afraid of Goliath. Saul was the largest guy in the nation of Israel. They hired him to fight their battles because of his size. And he had fought many battles, and he had won. He had proven he was courageous on the battlefield. But when he saw Goliath, a nine-foot-tall guy with 250 pounds of armor, he was scared to death. He now had an enemy bigger than him, and he knew he couldn't win. He couldn't defeat him with that strength he had. He tried instead to bribe, to bribe his soldiers to do what he wouldn't do. The men in his army were infected by his fear, not his courage. What a coward. Saul instead chose anxiety and worry as the course of action, and that's what fear does to us, guys. As I read this part of the story and thought about my own fear, I realized I get afraid almost every single day of something. But most of the time, I just push through it, and in my own strength, I just overcome that fear. But it seems about once a week, I face something that overwhelms me with fear. And this is when I often choose anxiety and worry, a lot like Saul. And sometimes that fear goes even further. It causes me to lash out and angry and be angry. And oftentimes my wife gets the brunt of that or someone in my family or a friend or a coworker, just like Saul did. So what does my fear actually create when I act that way? More fear in the people I deeply love. Guys, fear is contagious and it hurts people. Who are you infecting with your fear? David, on the other hand, moves with courage towards the enemy. Courage isn't a lack of fear. In fact, courage is action in the midst of intense fear. David was most certainly feeling fear, but his trust in God had proven many times that God would provide him what he needed. He knew that was going to happen. He rehearsed God's provision against a bear and a lion in his own mind. His clear memory of God's provision, that's what gave him courage. He knew. He was confident. It's amazing that courage came from. The ability to run towards the problem with an intense passion to destroy what was defaming God. He said, in fact, to his people, let not, no man's heart fail because of Goliath. He was encouraging these guys. David's desire was for his faith to build up these men and to push them forward. And it worked. It gave Saul courage. And Saul said to him, go in the name of the Lord be with you telling David to go on and fight that battle on behalf of Israel. In Psalm 27, David wrote these words, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? This study has pushed me hard, you guys. I've seen where anxiety, worry, and hiding are the response of fear of a man who does not trust in God, whose heart is not pursuing God. In that mode, God doesn't give us courage. But when I fall to my knees and I tell God I'm afraid and I need him, he runs towards me with courage. Remember Jesus in the garden facing a gruesome death. He wept. He sat on his knees. He cried out. He's bleeding. He's in so much fear. His tears were blood. He begged God for help. 
And God gave him exactly that, peace and courage to face a brutal beating, excruciating pain on a cross, and then death. How are you going to respond to your fear tonight? David stood and watched the uncircumcised Philistine degrade the armies of the living God. He was shocked to see the brave men he thought would boldly stand up to this Philistine pig, run and hide. He watched in disbelief the men of God act like cowards. David was summoned by Saul when some of his men told Saul that David was shocked that they would let the Philistines degrade the army of God. And then David told Saul how he was going to win that battle. He looked him in the eye. He said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from this Philistine. In his heart and mind, David assigned the battle to God. He knew these pagans hated God. And, he knew God, he knew, and David knew God would destroy anyone who hated him. David knew it was, a, it was a spiritual battle as much as a physical battle. God wanted these people dead. Guys, this lesson is really clear. We must see life with spiritual eyes. We must learn and know what God loves and what God hates. When we fight what God hates, we will not lose because God is the most important person in that fight and he will fight the enemy. And a man who knows the real enemy will know how to fight and when to fight. Unfortunately, we find ourselves in heated arguments and difficult conflicts, not because we're fighting against what matters to God, but because we're fighting to get what we want for our own selfish gain. Most of our battles have very little to do with what truly matters to God. What battles are you fighting for God and which are for you? David also knew he could trust God. He had seen God give him strength, skill, and ability to handle incredibly difficult situations as a shepherd. And all his success had come from God. He didn't have a false humility where he told people, yeah, yeah, it was all about God, man, yeah, yeah. But actually believed, no, that was all me, man. Like, I was, I was, I was amazing, wasn't I? No, his experience trusting God took away all of his fear because of his own inadequacy. He knew God would overcome his inadequacies. He knew God would equip him. What was ironic was the coward Saul tried to talk him into using his equipment to fight Goliath. David, of course, looked at him and said, that stuff's not going to work for me, man. Those are not the tools God gave me. He gave me a sling and a staff. I've practiced those for years. That's what God used to empower me to defeat those big animals. Guys, God gives us faith, the Bible, prayer, the Holy Spirit, and other believers to help us when adversity hits. But unfortunately, most of us men use our own power, our influence, our money, and our clever schemes to get us out of bad situations. We use the weapons of Saul instead of the weapons of David. We use those because they are the ones we practice using the most. We have, we have very little experience using the spiritual weapons. They feel awkward and unfamiliar. What weapons do you trust for fighting your battles? David used a stone and a sling to defeat Goliath because that gave him the ability to hit the weakest spot. Goliath was expecting power, somebody big and mighty, a sword and a spear. So, of course, his armor was built to protect him from those threats. He never realized God had a weapon called a bullet. 
A stone thrown from a sling can travel 100 miles an hour. That can be thrown with great accuracy and deadly force. That stone landed where the Philistine helmet left Goliath completely unprotected. David knew the battle belonged to the Lord and brought the right weapon to the battle. In Psalm 18, David wrote these words, For you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. Guys, in most conflicts, here's what I need. I need patience. I need wisdom. I need to listen well, and I need self-control. When I've asked people to pray, God often gives me those. And most of my conflicts have been resolved because I felt those come from seemingly out of nowhere. I know they are gifts of the Holy Spirit that's living inside of me. Preparation for battle means this. Time with God in my Bible. Prayer. And listen to this. Confessing my need to friends and family in a humble way and saying, I need help, you guys. I got this conflict. Could you pray for me because this is what I need? Those specific prayers. That's a humbling thing to ask for. How can you get better prepared to handle the problems you commonly face? David had to face this adversity from his family too, you guys. Brutal to watch this. David was the eighth son of Jesse. He was relegated to watching the sheep. They had no idea who he was or what he could accomplish. The gifted musician, warrior, and man with whom God accompanied was a nobody in the eyes of his family, even after he had been anointed in front of all of them. And when it came time to pick the next king, he was the last person his dad thought would qualify. His dad didn't even ask him to come to the auditions. Samuel had to force him to go bring David to the room. Guys, I think many of us who didn't grow up with a dad know how it feels to feel like nothing. When David brought food for his brother at the battle lines, the brother Eliab got angry when he heard David speak to the other soldiers and said he knew the evil in David's heart. David was falsely accused of something he wasn't thinking at all. He was there to feed his brothers. When he heard Goliath degrade God's army, a righteous anger rose up in him, not arrogance. His brother cast on David his own evil thoughts. Listen to David's words in Psalm 109. Be not silent, O God, of my praise. For wicked and deceitful mouths are opened against me, speaking against me with lying tongues. They encircle me with words of hate and attack me without course. In return for my love, they accuse me. I grew up in this space. This story was hard for me to read. I feel a lot of sadness when I think about my family. I feel a deep desire just to be known by my brothers and sisters. After our dad abandoned us, my mom had moved to Chicago to find a job to get health insurance. And she eventually returned to our family with a new husband. But she also brought with her a daily dose of fear and mistrust. My siblings and I have never learned to trust each other. My brothers and sisters have no idea how God has changed me. They don't know anything about me, and I them. None of us value faith uh, that they see in each other because we don't trust it. We don't know what it is. It's really hard. I never enjoy my time with them because I'm always waiting to be criticized or attacked. My family of origin is very painful for me. What family pain is hurting you right now? 
David had an amazing ability to overlook the words of his brother and the actions of his father to the rise to rise to this calling God had placed on his life. He brushed them aside and he moved without hesitancy into the fight with incredible confidence. I mean, he just shut all that aside and went right into this fight. So we see in Saul's, David went to God constantly with his cries for help, his complaints about people, his demand that God punish his enemy, and his need for strength and protection. David poured out his heart to God, and God would fill him with emotional strength to manage his pain. So when David's brother spoke, he simply asked him a question and just turned away. David didn't fight. At the end of Psalm 109, we read this. He said, with my mouth, I, give, I will give thanks to the Lord. I will praise him in the midst of this throng, for he stands at the right hand of me, the needy one, to save me from those who condemn my soul to death. David models to us a prayer life as the solution to dealing with this family hurt, this fear, anger, and frustration for those who hate him. His prayer life was an exhaustive venting of how he felt. Just read the Psalms, you guys. He faced his feelings and did not stuff them. I honestly believe this is one of the keys to his emotional health. He was prepared for these mean words and knew deep in his heart God loved him and would fight on his behalf. This was a battle he didn't need to fight. David knew which battles to fight and which to give to God. How has your prayer life helped rescue you from fights that belong to God, not you? David had to face another adversity, which was the jealousy and hatred of Saul. Let me summarize this. This is crazy. This list is unbelievable. Saul had all these reasons to hate David, and when you put them all down, it's just a shocking amount. This is crazy. Saul viewed David with this deep jealousy because Samuel first told Saul he wasn't going to be king and David would replace him. That was a good, good enough alone. Saul heard the songs of women that were sung about David after he killed Goliath and won a bunch of battles. And those songs described David as way better than Saul. Saul had to watch David sing and play a harp to soothe his depression. Saul watched hundreds of men follow David that truly loved him. Saul watched his daughter fall in love with David, and she lied to her dad to protect him. Saul watched David easily kill Goliath, who he ran from for 40 days. He saw David fight and win many battles, the ones he sent him to, hoping he would die. Saul watched David evade his spear numerous times and simply get up and walk away. He observed his son Jonathan form a lifelong bond of love with David, a love I'm sure Saul wished he could have had. But instead, he spent the rest of his life trying to kill David, which alienated him from his son. Saul was deeply jealous of David, and his jealousy drove him to anger and violence. Guys, jealousy is a man standing face to face with God and looking him right in the eyes, staring God in the eyes and saying, what you've given me, God, it's not good enough. I want what he has. James, the brother of Jesus, described it this way. What causes quarrels and what causes fights amongst you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war with you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. Then jealousy simply stated is resentment of another person. And in our culture, envy and jealousy are at record levels 
being driven by social media. People all over the world can see your perfect vacation, marriage, children, and relationships. Those pictures make all of us who look at them think exactly what you want people to think. You have an amazing life. Unfortunately, not everyone has the ability to see through your picture and understand the imperfections of your life or even know the gratitude you have when you posted that. And I must admit, I have days I feel those deep, jealous pains. They show up for me when my buddies are talking about all the great rounds of golf they played or their awesome hours at their lake home. It's actually hard for me to admit that. I'm a little embarrassed, but I feel that way. It's weird. Jealousy seems to be one of those things, especially in Christian circles, you just don't confess because it's kind of humiliating. When was the last time you described and confessed your jealous thoughts to another man? You know, as followers of Jesus, we're all called to overcome our envy and our jealousy through a daily posture of gratitude towards God. Short of Jesus, the apostle Paul suffered more unjust pain than anyone I know. And in Philippians 4, he tells us gratitude is the antidote. When we wake up and when we go to bed, we must rehearse every way possible how God has provided, protected, and prepared us. That continual thankful mindset is what keeps us from believing that we, what we have is not good enough. And on a practical, very practical note, guys, please hear this. Stop looking at social media. Just stop. It's really bad for you, honestly. It's really bad for you. And it turns your heart from God. When you come here and you go back to social media, you're actually turning away from God. You're moving away from him, not towards him. There's nothing in social media that draws you to God. It's not designed for that. It's designed to make people money. David was protected by God countless times in these stories of Saul's jealousy and hatred. David was almost speared to death twice at point-blank range, sent into numerous battles with the intent to be killed, pursued by thousands of men all over the desert and in caves, almost murdered in his own bed, and was sent to get a hundred Philistine foreskins for a dowry. That was a brutal task. Anybody think about it? He came up with 200, like 200 guys, and he just, wow. That's gross. Yet in all that, David's protected by God. He's protected in all that. Man, you read those stories, and you're like, how did he survive? In Psalm 59, David said this, Deliver me from my enemies, O God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who work evil. And save me from those bloodthirsty men. Guys, God had a plan from which he would bring a savior to the world. And in 2 Samuel 7, the prophet Nathan told David these words. Listen to this. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish the throne of his kingdom and he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Can you imagine David hearing these words? It's like, you got, oh my, you got to be kidding. And he's like, yes. And Solomon was David's son who built the temple. That's who built the temple, exactly what Nathan said. And then Jesus is the king who was born from David's line and whose throne will last forever. God had a plan for David, and it would not be stopped by Saul. Jesus died and was resurrected and will return to judge the living and the dead. 
He will resurrect all who believe in him, restore his kingdom on earth, where we will live with him forever. This is God's plan. You are part of that plan. You have a job just like David. God has a plan for every single Christian man in this room. Good works prepared in advance that have been set aside for you to accomplish. Guys, we'll never know how many times God has saved our life and protected us. But I know this, it's a lot. There's many times I should have been dead. Many times I should have been dead. But I know why God spared me. Through my marriage, my company, Bible study fellowship, heart of a man, and especially through my sons, God is saving the lives of men who will be called into the kingdom of heaven. And your story is exactly the same. God cannot be stopped by a jealous man, including you. How are you using your life to fulfill the prophecy, the purpose for which God has kept you alive? That's a crazy question. God's kept you alive for a purpose. What is it? In closing, it's very clear from these stories that Jonathan and David became lifelong friends. Jonathan protected David numerous times, and David needed him to stay alive. And Jonathan gave up his right to be king because he knew David was God's choice. Jonathan gave Dave his royal robe and weapons, and David trusted Jonathan with his life. Jonathan trusted David with his life many times when David could have killed him. They made covenants with each other for lifelong loyalty and protection. They expressed the value of their friendship in words to each other. They cried together. They hugged each other. They kissed. Now note this, please listen. There is no language of any kind in this text, in the Bible, that, that points to a sexual relationship between, between David and Jonathan. Some men think the scripture provides the justification for sexual relationships between men. Let me be clear. It absolutely does not. It was and is very common for Eastern men to kiss on the cheeks. Go see for yourself. They do it all the time. It goes on now. Men, boys, fathers, sons, friends, they do this. In the U.S., we've somehow turned that into taboo and weird. Men can and need to have a deep love and affection for other men without ever crossing the line of sexuality. And from this text, we can see a few key ideas about what makes strong, lasting friendships. First is a common love for Jesus Christ. Second is a commitment to the friendship. Third is spoken words of commitment to each other. Fourth is time together fighting meaningful battles. Fifth is physical affection. Like today, we hug each other in our culture, and we should. And sixth, a willingness to die for your friend and to protect him from harm. Then we need to examine our friendships and ask how they have become so shallow. We need to be the first to take a risk with another brother and forge a lifelong bond with one man following these guidelines. God shows us this for a reason. In Genesis, he said, it is not good for man to be alone, and it's not. What do you need to do to become a better friend to just one guy? What do you need to do? One man here at Heart of a Man said, I think God wants me to help Tony Florence. I'm not sure what to do, but I'll try to help and be his friend. Guys, that is God strongly supporting a young man who is wanting his heart to be blameless towards God. A man choosing to be a friend to another man is truly an act of God. Tony has recently completed his GED. He received his driver's license last month. He saved enough money to help him receive a matching grant to buy his first car last week. 
<laughs> it's a used car. And he called the guy back that sold it to him and said, why is it squeaking? <laughs> There's something endearing about that because it's the first car he's ever owned, you guys. He'll be moving to a higher paying job soon. He's moving into the first apartment he's ever been able to rent on his own. He's been off drugs and alcohol for over two years. He's in a conquer group tonight, right now, downstairs, trying to get over addiction to pornography. And he'd be standing here next to me right now if he wasn't in that class. Tony is pursuing God, you guys. I'm telling you, he is. He sends me a text every day telling me the proverb he's in and what he learned from it. And I'm telling you, that guy's chasing God hard. You know, if you've been addicted to drugs and alcohol, you know why. And you know what that hole looks like. And when you've been there, man, you want to run from it as fast as you can. And when you see Jesus, man, you want to run right at him. And he is, guys. You'll be proud of Tony. Tony's pursuing God. And you know what God's doing? Strongly supporting him. In Psalm 101, David said, I'll be careful to live a blameless life. When will you come to help me? I will conduct the affairs of my home with a blameless heart. David's heart constantly pursued God. God said he searches over the earth. His eyes are seeking. He's looking for a man that wants to pursue him. And when he does, and when he finds you guys, when he sees you, he will come with you with strong support. And that's exactly what he did for David, and that's exactly what he's going to do. And I'm going to tell you, watch him. Pursue him this week, and you're going to see him bring strong support into your life. Let us close with prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you and we praise you. Thank you for this precious time. Lord, help us pursue you with a passion this week. Lord, I pray you will come to us. We need you. Lord, pursue us. Help us when we pursue you, Lord. Give us that strong support we need and help us be the kind of men of God that will live out the plan you have for us to get this planet ready for your return of Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Amen.